Welcome to the third episode of the EdTech Lens. In today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing four other educators about their school or campus closures due to the COVID-19 virus. Our aim today is to talk about their successes as well as their challenges in the hopes of sharing some information with schools that might be going through similar things. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our episode. It's great to have all of you here. Could you all say hi and introduce yourselves? Hi. <laughs> hi. Hey. Um, I guess I'll go first. <laughs> go Hi, my name is Kim Hogg. Uh, I'm currently teaching in South Korea, work with middle school and high school kids. So I'm working with grades six through 10. And right now I'm teaching design, although I do also teach English. I'm just not doing that this year. Um, that's about it for the basic overview. I do have some training in online learning. I did my master's degree in, um, called information technology, but really it was about uh, distance education and online online learning and technology tools. So I do have a little experience and background in that. Some of it's been helpful, uh, but some of it's been really hard to put into place just because of how rapidly the onset of this um, distance learning education scenario came online for us. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in hearing what the other guests' experiences have been like and if that has been similar for them as well. And I'll just uh, end my introduction here. Hi everyone, my name is Justin Olette. Uh, I'm in Saigon, Vietnam, or Ho Chi Minh. Um, I teach uh, grade fives, which are um, ages about 9 to 11. Um, I'm at an IB World School, so I teach a whole variety of subjects through a concept-based lens through inquiry. Um, I guess my specialty would be doing my master's in educational technology purely online, um, both synchronous and asynchronously. So. Um, I guess my five years of experience with that, trying to uh, inject some of those wonderful ideas which led me to success, thinking about my experiences and how to shift and adopt it for my learners. And hi everyone, I'm, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, and hi everyone, I'm Laura England. Um, I'm currently in Hanoi, uh, Vietnam. And I teach in the middle school, so ages 11 through to 14, and I teach middle school language and literature. The primary of the English A subject. And in terms of online learning, this is my first uh, experience as an actual facilitator. Obviously, most of our university courses are online. Uh, so this has been a very big learning curve for me. Um, however, I think just experience in terms of pedagogical leadership and transitioning to multiple different platforms throughout the past decade of teaching, um, I think that background has taught me to be quite flexible <laughs> um, and to learn quickly and act thoughtfully but with speed <laughs> yeah thanks laura and last but not least hey guys my name is levent uh some of you may know me better as mr erdogan um my first name isn't anywhere online really because i'm i have a turkish name and it's uh it's a hard enough name to learn so i just kind of go with my teacher name. Um, I teach grades one to nine uh, with different subjects. I teach uh, seven to nine film studies. I teach one to nine music. And I, right now I'm only teaching grade one PE, but in the past I've, teaching, I've taught, excuse me, taught grades one to six uh, PE. Um, I haven't really had that much experience with online learning prior to this. Um, one thing I've done with my music students is um, posting a lot of my resources on my website and integrated 
um, my website into like day-to-day activities um, and trying to go on, try to go paperless with almost all of my classes. So um, I've I've already had a lot of stuff sort of set up on my website, and uh, so with my with my music students at least, um, they are already kind of or they've been in the groove of kind of going to my website for resources and activities for that particular day. So that's made it a little bit easier, but uh, with the younger ones, it hasn't been as easy. So it's been definitely a, a learning learning curve for that. Mm. Great. Nice to have all of you here. Sounds like we have a range of different subjects that we all teach as well as age ranges and experiences with online learning. Could you share uh, what your current situation is in your country or city and what it's been like leading up to this point in terms of school closures? So the reason why we're doing this podcast at this point in time is because right now in the U.S., uh, a lot of our, our colleagues there are experiencing school closures and having to teach online for the first time. So perhaps we could give a little bit of background with where you're at in terms of your school closure experience. We kind of started finding out about it while we were on vacation for the um, Lunar New Year holiday or Tet in Vietnam. Um, I think many of the decisions, and Laura can probably back me up here, have been um, mirrored with I think what's been going on with China as well as Hong Kong, we're kind of on the hold for Friday nights, depending on what uh, Moet and Doet do, who are the governmental organizations who do make the final call. So we're about to start our, I guess, seventh weekend of um, absence of children. Our situation's um, a little bit different because we're going in. Um, Part of that reason, well, there was a variety of reasons behind that, but I think um, a large advantage for us as teachers is we can go in and collaborate together. And yeah, I think that social connection has kept uh, staff morale quite strong at that point. And I can absolutely agree that, yes, similar for us, every single Friday, we found out about 5.30 p.m. what the decision has been. So up until that point, we've been working off the premise that we may be returning on the Monday or it's back to online learning. And so we've had to be quite flexible. Um, so two weeks ago, we didn't find out until Sunday, 6 p.m., mm. that our plans for reopening had been cancelled with the outbreak um, in Hanoi due to, I think it was patient number 17 that flew back in. Um, and so we've had to be quite flexible. Um, but, you know, it's been really good. And likewise, up until I think Tuesday last week, we were still having lots of face-to-face time on campus. Uh, but the area that our school is in right now has several quarantined blocks. And so, therefore, a lot of us are choosing to stay from, stay working from home. And then we just meet at different cafe points that are in non-sort of secluded areas um, without people in quarantine in the moment. And, Laura, I don't know. Laura, maybe you can um, resonate with my thinking, but I find um, Fridays just the fact that it's kind of uh, the decisions are made them are probably the hardest day because you don't know how to plan. I think now we have a, a firm decision from the government that it's April 5th, but um, again, who knows um, how Likewise. that'll be extended yet. And it was, I mean, we had a, a middle school, last Friday, the middle schoolers, we got together, we made, you know, welcome back videos, you know, the wash hand video. And we were dancing around the middle school and making videos to help the kids re-enter and, you know, check temperatures and go through all the different processes. 
so the, the video that you're talking excited. about with uh, washing your hands, if uh, the listeners yeah. haven't seen it before, <laughs> it's a viral video coming out of Vietnam. No pun intended about viral video, but it's a, a viral, <laughs> viral video. <laughs> Just a little joke yeah. there for you. And it's, uh, the, how does it go? If you haven't oh, seen it, I'll put it down in the description. There you go. <laughs> you can see Laura now. Fantastic. The dance the dance, you need to learn the dance, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm asking that. This, this might be an idea to have a group of teachers actually doing it. Would that get us some social capital yeah. with the kids? Maybe. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mention that, because that's, that's actually one of the ideas that I've had for next week um, in my music classes. And I'm teaming up with our PE teacher for us to both assign it. Because uh, as of one of the things I was going to mention was just thinking about ways you could assign work that also gets them moving, gets your kids mm -hmm. moving, right? Because there's yeah. so much, there's so much sitting in front of computer time, and we're not really doing much. Um, so just thinking about work that you could give them that actually gets them up, um, you know, on their feet and moving around is probably a good way to do it. So mm -hmm. I was going to go actually and do go with that as that uh, that song as the, an assignment for next week. It's funny. No, that's really cool. Uh, I I think we we should also form a band. Um, so maybe this is the beginning <laughs> of that right now, and maybe we could be the Corona nineteen five. I I don't know. Just so it's a working title. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what's led up to the situation in Hong Kong. We heard um, immediately as everyone was going for um, for Chinese New Year that we were going to be off for I think the following two weeks after Chinese New Year. So this was at the end of January. So I think starting January 23rd ish, somewhere around there, we had about a week off or a week and a half scheduled to be off, and that's it for uh, for Chinese New Year. And then we heard that it would be extended for an, for an additional two weeks. And then we had another announcement for. Uh, to extend it for maybe an additional, I can't remember, three or so weeks. And then we had another announcement recently that that told us that we were going to be home until April 20th. So that's five weeks from now, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> there's nothing we can do about it, basically. I mean, we're, we're just at the whim of the government's decision. Um, and um, we're just kind of, you know, trying to make the best of it. At first, I think we were uh, scrambling, like probably many of uh, many of the schools in, in the same in similar situations. Now there's a lot of resources coming out online. Lots of lots of things are being shared on Twitter, and um, all the all the schools that are going uh, that are closing in other parts of the world have a lot to to access. Um, but when it was first happening, I think a lot of people were just scrambling, right? So we've been out for quite some time, and I guess uh, it's just been almost day by day just trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. One thing that has worked that's new for me actually has been Seesaw, getting on Seesaw. But I think we're going to talk about platforms in, in a little bit, right? Sure. You can yeah. mention it anytime. Yeah. Um, I, with the little ones, I, all our all our grades one, two, and three classes have been already integrated with Seesaw. So um, just getting them integrated um, or getting work out through Seesaw has been has been good because it's been a platform where the kids have already uh, already been used to using. Um, for the the old kids, it's been other platforms like Google Classroom. Um, one thing that we haven't done ha has been uh, set like a standard across all of our classes, 
and um, I think we're we're leaning in that direction. But it's it's um, uh, it's been a little messy. But like I said, we're taking it day by day. Great, thanks. And Kim, do you want to talk a little bit about what's led up to school closures for us in Korea? Sure. Um, I actually had to go back and look at the calendar because it, it's just been so on and off for us that it's been quite tricky. We, uh, it's a we, haze, right? Days just come and go and they blend together really at this point. Is, it really is. It's, um, it's really hard because it's like my days are all spent in the same, you know, eight by eight room or whatever it is and just trying to like, what day is it today? And when does it, it starts to blend together. But um, yeah. yeah, looking back at the calendar, we were in session the week right after Lunar New Year. Um, and then on Thursday of that week, patient 19 had been in the neighborhood and in a local shopping mall. Um, mm. And so that basically the whole city decided that we're just going to shut down. And so we went off school the next day kind of proactively ahead of any government decisions just to kind of see where things were at. And by the end of that Friday, we were told, okay, you're not coming back next week. So we're going to have to figure this out. We're going online. We're continuing school. And this is where it's at. And the school year in Korea doesn't start until the first week of March-ish for uh, like public school and university here. Um, so we were kind of, the international schools are kind of on a unique calendar. And so we were um, off campus for a week and then we came back for a week. And then at the end of that week, it was like, no, we're closing. And then we're going to be off until, well, maybe two weeks. And then it got extended for two weeks again. The schools here are supposed to be going back next Monday, which I think is the 23rd. That's the beginning of our spring break. So we're not scheduled to be back on the 30th. Things have been good here as far as numbers in outbreak. That sounds kind of crazy in the sense that we've got so many. We're really high on that list of total uh, infections, but they've done a really great job of kind of capping it. And it started to really sort of level off. But then... Um, there's been this new small cluster that they're watching in souls. And so it's hard to say if we're going to be off longer or not. I'm kind of half expecting that we're probably not going to go back until at least the middle of April at this point in time. There's nothing official on that. Uh, it's just kind of my gut talking based on how things have been in the past. And so we've been on for, it'll be a total of five weeks for us by the time we get back. If we go back on March 30th, and that's kind of where we're at now is on week four of four of the second round of distance ed for us. Mm. What I was hearing is that uncertainty is at the core of all of this. And we're kind of waiting for the government to make some sort of announcement. And it's almost at the 11th hour when we're going to find out, do we have school next week? Is that fair enough to say for all of you? Yeah, absolutely. And we were really grateful, not grateful, sorry, as much as you can be in the situation. And that we're, now that we have had the, the smallish outbreak in Hanoi, that we're not allowed to go back until most likely after spring break. And so it's given us a bit of a, oh, okay, we can make some long-term goals now. We can begin to mm. plan with the bigger picture in mind um, rather than that week to week. And it's also, it's quite stressful as well. Um, so, many, so many of our faculty have young children at home. Mm -hmm. So they're helping their children learn from home as well as running all their online classes. And so it's been really, I think, having that, sort of end date to work towards that's a longer term project has given a great peace of mind mm. to, to, to many of our faculty mm. yeah i think um 
I think, yeah, positively speaking, I think knowing that um, that date a couple of bit down the road, I can definitely echo with what Laura is saying. Um, now that we at least know a, a definitive date, um, a bit of the ominous skies, I guess, in Saigon is there's been whisperings that um, we're all going to need to self-isolate, kind of like a situation like Albania or, um, or even China per se. Um, so that that might change things in a bit of mindsets. Um, and I guess also a little bit more uh, glass half full about things. I think we're getting a lot more empathy from the parents now that this is unfortunately blown up worldwide. There's um, there really is no better place, if you will, and just understanding that, you know, this is a worldwide issue and um, we're, we're just trying to deal with it as best as we can at the given moment. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a follow-up question? So you had mentioned that you're getting more empathy from parents, and you're uh, an elementary teacher or a PYP teacher. Um, what were the the reactions from from your parents at that time when you first went into this? Well, I think one thing most schools have been doing well is just asking for ongoing feedback through surveys, um, for better yeah. or worse, um, very often, um, because we're kind of learning as we go here and just seeing what works and what doesn't. So um, we're using that feedback and that data to drive our, um, our program and um, towards the future. Um, I think overall it's been positive. Obviously, um, you know, times like these will bring up the best and the worst in people. Um, there's some situations where you can totally empathize with um, parents and caregivers who are really struggling and, and we're just trying to adopt to that. Um, and yeah, and then there's been great comments where, you know, We've gone above and beyond, and um, and yeah, um, just saying that they've been very ha happy with the way that we've supported their children, and dealt with things, and um, really tried our best in these these situations. We made the decision not to do synchronous classes or synchronous learning with our students. Some of it was based on, like you said, about um, faculty having their own kids at home and not being sure about. Um, what kind of support students had at home, along with knowing that some of our students were going to be leaving the country. Um, and so I'm wondering if you guys were were going forward with a synchronous or an asynchronous or some kind of blended model to support your students. And then if that was part of the concerns that your students or your parents had and didn't, ours were not really happy with the not synchronous uh, classes in some regard. And so uh, we've been moving more towards having more face-to-face -face and more synchronous learning throughout our process. And I'm just wondering how it's developed and evolved from uh, where you guys started. Yeah, I can speak to that. Um, so we started off entirely asynchronous, but I know the parents were asking for lots of more face-to-face -face time. And it really was coming from our DP um, high school parents in particular. It's a really mm -hmm. crucial time for their children. And so the balance that we've struck is that so every week we have one synchronous lesson and one asynchronous, and the rest are asynchronous lessons. Mm -hmm. um, and I think really what it has, I know I've really shifted the focus of synchronous lessons to about consolidating learning and also just a point for connections because so many children in our classes have not left their actual homes um, for upwards of now seven weeks. And so that face-to-face -face time really is some of the only context they have. So very much in terms of that social and emotional well-being, the synchronous have been really valuable. Um, 
And we've gone a step further. I'll talk about that later about developing writing partners in our classes. They meet weekly with a partner in Google Meeting, have face-to-face feedback time with their actual peers just to help that communication. Yeah, our situation is actually exactly the same. We started without uh, face-to-face meets and then we went we went into half of our class time basically as face-to-face and then um, uh, the rest the same as you just described, just kind of like online activities. Uh, and I feel the exact same way that you feel that it's been, it's definitely been beneficial for the kids. I've had students who have, who have felt, or that it, it, at least it looks to me like they've, they've felt sad when they're logging off at the end of our face-to-face time. Cause they're so, it's like they're lonely. They've got, they've, like I've had kids who have asked me like, can we have more Google meets? Can we Google meet? And uh, I'm like, yeah, you know, if you're having difficulty, just email me. Like, well, we can chat. We can jump into one of these, these chat rooms and, uh, and we'll chat for a bit. But uh, so I think it's definitely helping the kids, just as you're describing, um, socially and emotionally uh, and getting that piece in. The face FaceTime also, like you said, helps consolidate their learning. You touch base with the kids and see what's going on. I would say at the beginning, we had a large chunk of our, our families not even in the country, not in Hong Kong. Um, so we've probably had, at least in my classes, I, I'm a programs teacher, so I'm not like like one of the main subjects. So for me, I've probably had around 50% of attendance. But I found that uh, with those 50 percent showing up to class, it's been valuable for them. Hmm. So, two things that are kind of coming out of the conversation so far um, have been, first of all, asking for a lot of feedback and asking for feedback frequently, and being nimble in terms of implementing it, being flexible in terms of our approach. And the second thing was um, kind of everyone saying the the initial way they approach this was asynchronously. Um, asynchronously teaching their classes. And for anybody that doesn't know what that means, uh, it would mean that we all learn in our own times and we're we're able to do our own projects or our own learning whenever we want and we just have to meet our deadlines. And what I kept hearing from a few of you there uh, was that the kids start to get isolated and they start to feel lonely and they need that kind of FaceTime by having a synchronous or a class that's at the same time as one another. And Levent had mentioned one of the tools was Google Meet. Could you tell us a little bit about that tool? Uh, yeah, it's just Google Meetups, I think it's called, or Google Hangouts. I, I, I guess the name has changed recently. I don't know which it's, one's the newest it's name. It's really confusing. It's like <laughs> Google Hangouts is the chat, and then Google Hangouts Meet is the face-to-face element yeah. where we can do like yeah. a conference call, right? So we've yeah. been calling it Google Meet, even though it's not the actual name, but we just call it Google Meet. I mean, it's been it's made it a lot easier to, at least for us, for um, for organizing like face to face meets. Uh, we send out calendar invites, and you just I think there's a there's an option to to select you know who's invited. For me, the way I have it set up is I have a schedule on my um, on my website where the kids just go to and they they click on it, and it's just like a, a repeating. It's just like an active chat room that's always there. I don't think the kids know that it's always there, but I've actually heard chat with another uh, teacher group that I'm in that they've found problems with having that chat room just constantly active. Like they, the kids will keep the link and um, they can just jump into that link um, when possibly you are in, in a chat with other classes. So I've, I've heard of issues uh, revolving around the fact that the link just stays active, but it hasn't been an issue for me kids i don't think they even know that it stays active i don't think they they know the the, the finer uh, details about that but they just go to my website i have 
the, the, the link that they, they click on on my schedule, my weekly schedule, and that's it. They just jump in. It's, it's quite mm-hmm. easy. Great. Thanks. Um, anybody else in the room want to share some of the other things that have been working for you in your contexts? We've, we've heard about a couple tools and a couple of approaches. Is there anything else that we might have missed? Yeah, I think um, just to branch off on what uh, Levent was saying, I think, yeah, just keeping it simple. I think uh, you need to understand that online instruction and face-to-face instruction, you know, less is more and simplicity is key. So not introducing a lot of new tools. Um, if they are, just make sure that crossover in the uh, is very easy in terms to navigate and making sure that, that they're well supported in that front. I think uh, Dr. Jennifer Chang Weithal, I believe, um, she shared a, a wonderful infographic in terms of keeping things simple in terms of clear, explicit instruction, color coding the different subject areas, adding hyperlinks instead of long links. And yeah, just um, I think that's that's a really important approach. You, you just you can't consider or sorry, you can't. Um, expect the same amount of, I guess, instructional um, time in terms of how long it takes uh, in in home learning because of the amount of support um, or lack thereof. So in other words, you're saying when we go to online learning, it's actually a time to simplify things rather than to kind of keep the status quo or to pile on anything new. Has anybody else found that in their context as well, that they needed to simplify things? There was a lot that resonated with me, and I was thinking back to some of our earlier experiences that we had as well as a school. We made the initial decision to publish lessons and upcoming plans for the week originally on like ManageBack and then on Google Classroom. And so kids were just getting this barrage of emails because they had independent details from each of their teachers. And it was all coming in at the same time. So it was a lot of data for them to try to process, to figure out what do I need to do? What's important? What's not important? What's the order? What's priority? Some of the really early feedback we got from the kids was like, it's too much. We need to find a way to scale this back so that they can still get an overview of what needs to be done without being overwhelmed by the amount of uh, small detailed information that's coming their way. And so one of the transitions that we made was to eventually have like a single document for each grade level that went out every week that described where you're going to meet your teachers. If you met them online, there was a hyperlink to the meeting. There was details about the time uh, that it was going to be held, different information about what your activities for the week were going to be and where to go find all of those. And so switching from every teacher communicating directly with students to one grade level person communicating with all of the te- all of the students in that grade level was a huge improvement. Parents and students responded really positively to that change that we made. And I think that really goes back to what you were saying, Justin, just about simplification when it, and, it, and all of it in terms of both what we're teaching, but also in terms of how we're communicating with the students and their families to let them know what's going on. So that, yeah, really resonated. And I think that whole idea of distilling down to what's super important is it's critical to keep in mind. Thanks, Kim. I just think so from a thing from middle school perspective in the MYP. So we have obviously eight subjects, and that's a lot. You know, <laughs> it's a lot for children for eleven year old. Um, so what we did, we'd have the kids just focused on the actual schedule for the day, and so we would upload by three p.m. the day prior in our intranet uh, called Veracross, and just really simple. Step one: watch the instructional video. Step two. Here's how you respond. Step three, here's the time frame. <coughs> Sorry. 
Um, but what I noticed, though, particularly for language and literature, which is very much a process-heavy subject, and I noticed my students were finishing an activity, switch off, next activity, and it was just this, I thought this is actually not a very sustained approach to an inquiry and a writing journey. So we transitioned our students to a bit of a project, like a long-term project, where they had to create small folio pieces every week. And the whole idea was that they needed an outlet, they needed to be creative, they needed to be writers, and just engage in that process of communicating, dealing with all the news and the different restrictions that were coming into their lives. And we've noticed that the students especially in that grade seven cohort, where once a week they produce a tiny text type, they connect with a writing partner in an online platform, whether it be Google Docs, whether it be Google Meet, Google Chat, whatever it is, it's up to them. And as a result, I noticed that children are so engaged. I've got some children, about maybe 20% of the entire cohort, who have actually finished four folio pieces in two weeks because they were just so immersed in the process. So it was about having that long-term goal broken into those small, small chunks, but they could see that there was an overall project and they were creating something that was really personal. They had a creative outlet. So I found that that has been really beneficial. Mm, That sounds similar to how we were working things in our design class as well, where the kids have, uh, we got really, really lucky (laughs) as far as when we happened to, to actually end up going into distance learning is that we had just launched a new project and it was ready for the kids to start taking action of their own. And so we've got our design folders that we've got with the kids. We've got it separated out into like distinct activities or distinct things to do at each stage in the process. And so um, what we've been doing, Alex and I, uh, is we've been getting actually on here on StreamYard, which is what we're using today to record this, and having a live stream to YouTube with the kids that they love because it's like their favorite gamers and Twitch streamers and all that. And um, they get to engage it with us as we're doing the direct instruction aspect of of the particular program and how to go through their their process at this stage but they're also able to ask live questions we can put them up on the screen they just they love it and so it's been finding a way to break things down and finding a way to make it more of a a portfolio a, a process um, I think that that's really working for us as well. And I think that is something that could potentially work for a lot of other subjects as well. A kind of summary from that, uh, coming down to the idea that having something longer term and also having something that perhaps is more simplified is going to work well for students that are transitioning into something online. Mm-hmm. Did anybody else want to add on to that? Yeah, I think one thing that's been working, at least for me, has been um, setting up the right expectations for students, especially about how they um, how they like send you the work that they are handing in. Um, a lot of times, you have it very clearly written in the instructions, and then they just start firing it off in different ways. For example, if you have if you're using Flipgrid, they'll just email you a video, or if you're if you get them to write an essay on something, they'll and you want them to submit it in whatever platform they maybe just email you or, or they send it in the wrong platform. And I think setting up the expectations in, in advance has been really helpful. Um, it's been a little bit of extra emailing back and forth, like, oh, you know what, I already told you how to do this, or it's already fully outlined in the instructions. Um, go, you know, double check the instructions before you send me this video. I'm not going to accept it this way. So that's a little bit of work in advance to, to get them kind of to, uh, to be a little bit more independent but um, 
they are probably learning from it and learning that, you know, you're, the teacher is putting those instructions in front of them for a reason and, um, and reminding them to kind of go through that sort of checklist of instructions that you guys are giving them um, sometimes takes more emails um, than it would be to just accept the work when they send it to you um, in the wrong spot or whatever. But in, in the long run, it's been working uh, just to, to help organize everything and uh, get them just sending you the work in a way, in a, in a manner that you want to, to collect it. So setting those expect, expectations up has been important, yeah. I think. Having clear expectations up front. Right? Yeah, and definitely. Clear expectations is really helpful. If we were to talk to teachers in the U.S. and we were to mention some rookie mistakes, what do you think you might mention to them? Something that hasn't worked at your school? Just to be really firm on when you are available, these set hours and making yourself truly available during those times. And I, I think that's important um, learning lesson for our learners as well of just striking balance during these times when we're probably on screens more than we should. Promoting that idea of balance, both online, offline, and also just through a variety of activities and choice. As a collaborative cohort of, of teachers, um, particularly during week two or week three, um, we were going from um, the daily plans and then we, we said, yeah, it was kind of disjointed and we wanted to go with uh, more problem-based or really deep inquiry. So we built really elaborate Google site that we could build on um, we had video walkthroughs of each thing step by step. Unfortunately, though, for, for us as teachers who really wanted that medium the, from the feedback of students and parents is, is um, many of them are being cared for by a nanny or a caregiver. And it was, it was almost just too much support, which leads to my, you know, you almost have to rethink of, of lessons that you would traditionally offer in the classroom with a lot of a lot of face-to-face -face collaborative experiences you, you kind of have to rethink that it still is plausible but I, I think just for us in our context it didn't work and, and I could probably seeing it uh, work more for maybe um, the higher levels um, where they're a bit more independent and in they're learning uh, unfortunately actually a lot of our feedback lent towards something that was um, that was easy to print off um, or almost uh, I'd hate to say it worksheet based in terms of activities so um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the sad point of where we're at. Um, it is somewhat disjointed as opposed to it seems a bit more um, standards-based at the moment um, as opposed to really deep and rich inquiries. Uh, if I could build on what Justin said as well about the whole idea of context, when I think to the school that I came from prior to coming to Hanoi, um, the access to technology and I'm sure many US schools are in the same boat and so you know we had a BYOD policy and I would have 28, sometimes 32 in a classroom where I would only have 12 that had a functioning device. And so it's about being really creative with how you were going to somehow communicate the key learning outcomes <laughs> to make sure that I know we've made a really clear message that your child must meet the outcomes for, the, for this particular year level to go to the next grade level. And so parents won't be withdrawing their children. Um, so I think when it comes to some of those schools that perhaps need a lot of extra support, just resource-wise, it's going to take a lot of creative thinking and a lot of working with the families, um, 
surveys, ideas of how they can perhaps access the resources. And I think something that came very clear to me by the end of my time at my previous school was that every child had a phone. They all had these smartphones. And so how some of those schools use what is already in the children's hands, uh, mainly for secondary, of course, um, as a means of communicating, knowing that maybe only 20% have access to an actual device that most of our students have in our schools right now. I think something that's been um, that's been talked about a lot at my school recently has been thinking about quality over quantity. All the, the parents that I talk to, they all say the same stuff. It, they feel overwhelmed and it's hard for them to keep up. And um, so we're, we're trying to fa- figure out a way to um, to really focus on the quality of the work that uh, that we're getting from the students and not necessarily just kind of handing out a lot of uh, or sending home a lot of busy work just to kind of meet our, our outcomes. Um, so I think finding a balance between, um, you know, the, the amount versus, you know, how important it actually is that the work that you're sending home is, uh, is key. That's, that's something that we've had to think about too with um, some of our kids that are on IEPs and things like that, trying to figure out how do we deal with this situation that is now cognitively a lot more stressful for the kids, creating a, creating a much larger demand on them. And then what is essential? How do we do it? How do we modify what was happening in the classrooms in a way that is effective for that particular learner and to try to help them out as well? So it's been some of it's been a lot more parent support. Some of it's been a lot more explicit checklisting and things like that as far as our um, responses to their needs go. But uh, it's it's definitely an extra challenge that I think a lot of our American colleagues are going to be facing and European colleagues as, it, as they deal with their um, the inclusive classrooms that they're all in and the needs that they have to differentiate for on such a wide basis that a lot of us in the international school systems can almost to the same degree, I think. And I think it's important we tap into that, you know, there's that lovely um, three-circle Venn diagram, and it's the humanity, tech, pedagogy. And in the middle, there's, there's that sweet spot. And so I think it really is about how, I noticed for my grade six cohort in particular, we have a high amount of students with learning needs. Um, high amount on um, EAL students. So it's working with the whole idea of making sure that the learning was sequential, but that it was also open-ended. So it gave opportunity for those students who have those needs to, to respond in a way that they can, and they can still have great success. And then those who wanted to extend themselves could extend themselves. So I'd have these long-winded, beautiful physical metaphors coming through as stories from some grade sixes who were able just to push themselves. When those who just could access a small piece, they could give me one small metaphor and that was enough because it showed that they understood. Um, So I think that balance of pedagogy, technology, and obviously keeping at the very centre the fact that right now their humanity is... um, Probably the most important. It always is the most important, but. <laughs> Are you mentioning the TPAC model? Is that what you're talking about with the three Venn diagrams? I think so. It's regularly on Twitter. I think it's just a fantastic way to capture. Yeah. Yeah. Just the three circles. I'm not sure what it's called. I'm not sure what it's called. I'm just saying, as an educational technologist, you're making my heart sing quoting TPAC. I think it's a, it's a great model to always think of the tool last, you know, thinking about, uh, thinking about the context of your learners, think of your own pedagogy. Um, and then the content you're delivering and, yeah, which tools are the best um, options in terms of, uh, you know, 
that that visibility piece of um, making your learning visible. So that's awesome that you quoted it. Thank you. Mm, that was very cool. So to distill it all down, it sounds like things that didn't work before in our schools were things like having too much communication and trying to distill it down into one single document and having a point of contact. I think that was something Kim had mentioned. And then everybody else had kind of also mentioned two ideas and kind of wove the two together. One was to have balance between uh, screen time and off-screen time and making sure that time for kids is considered carefully. And the, the second thing that everyone had mentioned was also kind of like personalizing the experience for everyone. And I'd heard things like um, allowing for differentiation. Laura had just finished on that point. And I'd also heard things like IEPs or um, still allowing um, regular communication with our students to personalize that experience in some sense and making sure that, you know, it's not just a, a worksheet that we're slapping down in front of them. There's still kids who are still inquiring, still learning, and still exploring. We're not trying to go back to traditional methodologies. So in our next question, a lot of schools are starting to think about when they're going to come back. Laura had mentioned this at the beginning, that it was nice to have a, a firm date from the Vietnamese Ministry of Education. So let's say that we all come back. Let's say we come back in a couple of weeks and we're all meeting our, our current timeline set forth by the government. So what if we had some students that were present and some students that were still somewhere else in the world? What if we had to implement some sort of hybrid model? And how do you think that might look in your classroom if you had some of your student body present and some of your student body absent, but still wanting to learn from a distance? What would you do? Or how might you begin to approach that? Oh, well, I can um, talk about this. So we've actually already had the conversation, the planning sessions around it. So I think it was three weeks ago now. We thought we had the yes to go ahead, but then we knew that we were only going to have about 70 to 80% students on campus. Um, so that was already something in the in the works. So what we thought could be really helpful is if we actually had a particular device in the classroom, one child sets up a device, and we actually just zoom in or Google Meet, um, use the Google Meeting platform to have children attend our lessons. Because most of the children wanted to be a part of the lesson, and so we set up buddies in the classroom. So if your, that particular child is not at school, their buddy can actually be tapping them into the classroom anyhow. And so we're looking at running lit circles and peer teaching teams using that particular model. Um, and obviously now with a greater explosion of corona, with COVID, uh, we know that a lot of our students who've gone back to Europe um, now won't be coming back at all. Um, even after spring break, because I'll need to go into the quarantine system anyhow. Uh, so we just know this is what's coming. It's what's coming. Um, That's really interesting, a buddy system. So yeah. how, would that, how would that work? So would you know the students ahead of time that aren't going to be joining? And then you yeah. have some sort, of, some sort of list and you partner kids up and they just have their own Google uh, Meet or their own Google Hangouts call and just kind of work with the get online. Yeah, so doing it right now. Uh, so, for example, just a few of my grade seven classes, uh, one of my students is in South Korea and the other one is in Italy. Um, and so they've worked at a time frame where they meet twice a week to give each other feedback, the feedback feed forward process. Um, we know that a few of our students are the Vietnamese families. They will not be coming back until it's completely 
over. Mm-hmm. And so therefore I've set them up with some of the students in the class um, for the expat families who are definitely going to be back to school and they're ready to get back to school. So they'll be buddies um, in the particular classroom. And so really we set up our projects in such a way that they're already working with someone. And the whole idea is we could sort of come back to school and there would be a bit of a streamlined process. So when they're in their in the classroom, they've got their they've got their body already they're familiar with familiar working with that person, and that person could be sort of their gateway into the classroom um, in an online platform. We'll see. We haven't tried it, so <laughs> lots of trialing and iteration involved to make that. That's work. the exciting thing about this whole experience. We're all trying new things and and mm. kind of pushing the boundaries of of what we've done in the past. So thanks for, yeah. for that, Laura. How about you, Justin? Did you want to add on to that? And again, using platforms that they're already used to and accustomed to, like Flipgrid and Padlet, just to have those collaborative discussions and sharing of ideas, regardless of where you are. I think also having that set time for uh, synchronous collaboration um, with your group experiences. Maybe it's two people um, who are grouped together with somebody who's at home so that that way they can um, continue onwards. And again, maybe just recording that for the sake of maybe the time doesn't work out if uh, if it's a time zone issue. So I think a lot of it too will just be a fleshing out process of, of what's working, what's not working, um, and just listening to the voice of both the student and the uh, the guardians at that time. Well, for me, I mean, I haven't actually thought of this uh, hybrid idea. Um, it, it hasn't come up in any of the discussion uh, at my school. And this is the first I've even um, heard anyone mention it, to be honest. Uh, in my classes, my classes are, are heavily reliant on having stuff so I teach, when I teach music, we have instruments. When I teach uh, my film class, we have cameras and iPads. And one thing that I've had to uh, have to gotten used to, one thing I've had to do with all of my stuff is like, I can't rely on, uh, or I can't expect the students to, uh, to have anything. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to assign work uh, where they are, um, where I can get away with them doing things, but not actually have those instruments or have the, the tech that I would normally have in my classes. Uh, as I was saying before, I do use my website um, all the time with my students and they're used to you know, coming to class um, and logging into my website and uh, finding assignments or finding the work that they need to be working on. Um, so that's already, that's already integrated with, with um, the daily routine for my students. And that's been invaluable, I think, for a number of things. If, it's, if we have to move into this hybrid model, I would still continue to use the website the way I have been. But I think the biggest concern for me is just um, balancing the kids who have the stuff, who have the instruments or things that I use in my class, the instruments and the tech, the iPads, and, um, and balancing that with the ones who are at home who don't. What has been one tool or platform that has been invaluable during your online learning experience and why? Uh, for me, like like I've mentioned, having my own website and having that already integrated in the class has been invaluable. Uh, it's been really easy to to get the kids to, uh, to know where to find all that work. So it doesn't necessarily um, have to be a personal website, but I, I would say having the kids already integrated in advance in some platform 
um, Google Classroom, Seesaw, what have you, um, I think is, uh, is has been something that has made the transition to online learning incredibly, um, or at least much easier than it than it would have been. So leveraging an existing platform and consolidating communication to one place, I think that was definitely uh, yeah, made. Um, about something that's been working at our school. But also, Justin had been mentioning that earlier about having a Google site. Justin, could you weigh in on on uh, Levent's point about having a single website for a grade or a class? Yeah, I think so many things that Levent said just resonated with everything we've all been discussing. I think not introducing a whole bunch of new tools. I think, you know, there's the uh, devils in sheep's clothing with all these free offers, but we also need to consider... Um, you know, the frustrations they, that they might provide and, you know, how the data is being stored and for what purpose, et cetera. So I think, um, you know, Seesaw is amazing for the context that it serves. And, and again, it, it's just a ubiquitous all-around tool that has so many options um, available. And, and again, I think if you're in China, maybe that's the Office 365 suite, maybe it's Seesaw. And then if you're fortunate enough to live in a context where, um, you know, Google's not blocked. I mean, all the all the stuff that the G Suite um, EDU tools provide um, all work in symbiosis with each other. So you'd mentioned kind of this this thing that's a, a new hashtag like Corona marketing. I've mm-hmm. seen a few people using this. Um, a lot of companies lately have been kind of jumping on the bandwagon and opening up premium features to their platforms for free for any schools experiencing school closure. You know, at the beginning, I remember it was, you know, one, two, three platforms. It was really cool. It's like, oh, my gosh, these are things that we really wanted to have access to. It's something I would have paid probably out of my own pocket. I won't mention names, but there were a bunch of companies and we couldn't keep up with it. We have uh, an ed tech site at our school and I, I'm the one in charge of managing it. And I kept putting in all the different platforms as they came in. I think at one point I had 12 and it just got to the point where it was too much. I I was looking for some sort of spreadsheet or some sort of list that had them all consolidated into one place. It's just making careful decisions about, you know, if we are jumping on onto a new platform, the ease of use and access. And I think probably the lead in there with, with a tool that's extremely robust and ease of use and, and um, things to consider are Seesaw. And I know they're, as a Seesaw ambassador, I know they're very cognizant of, of FERPA and COPPA and all the things in terms of their data. So I think, yeah, that's those are just cautionary red flags to think about um, as an educator is, is, you know, how are they using this data? Where is it being stored? Um, and just, yeah, considerations of how easy is it going to be to um, get out of the system after all these, um, after you're all signed up. Uh, so any other tool or platform that's been invaluable for Laura or Kim? Go ahead, Laura. Yeah, I can speak up. So this might be so simple, (laughs) but it helped me so much at the beginning. I just simply saw a tweet and all it was was command shift five for those who have Macs as a really quick way to record your screen. And that one simple little shortcut has saved me so much time. So basically, I tend to use Google Jamboard as a way to teach to upload a sticky note record my screen, talk the children mm-hmm. through a process. Um, so they're really simple, Command-Shift-5. <laughs> Command-Shift-5 will um, do a uh, quick time uh, screen recording. Uh, Is that what you're saying? 
It was fantastic. But yeah. If you pop it up into the Google Drive, link it into our platform, and it's Perfect. good to go. And then for um, language-heavy teachers, um, so the Read Write Chrome extension mm-hmm. has just been a fantastic tool, especially when – so on any given week I'll have about – 50 to 60 pieces of written work that I need to be giving feedback on to the students um, and they particularly miss out, um, they particularly appreciate hearing the teacher's voice and hearing their classmates' voices. And so we have a feedback process where we just make little voice recordings hmm. and they'll listen to the voice recording. Then in the reply section, in their own words, they'll just jot down in dot point forms what they need to do to improve, to feed forward that feedback. Hmm. Um, and that has just been a great tool. So read and write Chrome extension. Mm-hmm. So all of these different um, apps, Chrome extensions, um, uh, shortcuts, all right in the description. So if there's a listener that would like to have a little bit more information, you can look down there, down below. All right. Last but not least, Kim, is there anything that you would like to add in terms of that essential app or that essential platform that's made this online learning experience better for you? And your kids? Um, I guess there's been two really that we've used a lot of. Um, one of them is StreamYard that I mentioned before. It's a great way to stream live to YouTube and it's been great for direct instruction uh, when that's part of your um, part of your bag of tools that you're using. Mm-hmm. And it's been great because the kids get to not show their faces but still be very engaged with what we're doing. Um, and so I've really enjoyed the interface and how that's worked and the level of engagement that we saw from our kids in classes, lots of things coming up in terms of questions and comments that uh, we didn't necessarily see in, in live classes that are uh, in-person classes that um, was a lot of fun. The other tool that has been super, super useful, um, if you're user, a Google Suite user, is Classwork Zoom. And this mm-hmm. was created by um, actually another teacher here in Incheon in South Korea. And uh, it allows you, it, it lays out in a, visual format, a timeline per assignment for each student to show how long they've been engaged with something, what kind of engagement they're doing on a particular assignment. And it's been super helpful to see kids that are starting to drop off, find kids that are um, not engaged in the way that they're supposed to be. So they've stopped doing their assignments or they've just not been um, engaged with things or they're not spending very much time on it. So that you can follow up with them and just find out what's going on, um, if they need more support, if they're having technology issues, um, if there's some other kind of reason that they're not able to to work on things, they're just they're not in the mood. Um, but the other thing that's really helpful about this is that it is secondarily a tool that shows you when you've been active on each of the students' work as well. So it's been also a good way for me to keep tabs on myself to see, am I giving feedback frequently enough? Is there a class or a particular assignment that I haven't addressed that I thought I did? And so I can use that as a way to keep an eye on myself, especially because we're doing um, this long-term portfolio project that I have to keep checking in on the students and giving them feedback on in a very progressive kind of way. So um, I've found the tool to be helpful for two different things. And uh, yeah, so I I would say that's probably primarily what's been important to me and very, very helpful for me as well. 
Yeah, I'm going to just echo that one as well. Classwork Zoom by Eric Burton, a teacher here in Korea, as Kim had mentioned, was one of the people that helped us out with a, a free upgrades. And when you click it, you log into your Google Classroom and it is just such a fantastic tool that shows a visual of when your students have been working on their docs. So it was such an eye opener for me. So if you haven't tried it yet, it's called Classwork Zoom uh, and you can find it on Chrome Web Store. Chrome Web Store. That's it. It was on the tip of my tongue. All right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for taking your time on a Sunday afternoon and sharing all of your wisdom and experience with uh, one another, as well as all of our listeners. It's been a great experience for me. So hope to uh, see all of you soon and hope you make it out and uh, back to face-to-face -face learning soon. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, thank you, everyone. <laughs> Have a good rest of your day. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Ciao. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's recording, please consider leaving us a comment and a review wherever you might be listening to podcasts. See you again next time on the EdTech Lens.